How many of you, if I were to say Pax Romana, would know what I meant by that? The peace of the Romans. That's what that's what the uh, the PR director for Caesar Tiberius was telling the world. This is the peace of generations. You want this peace. Now, on top of that, um, I think it would be accurate to to uh, recognize that Rome was a law and order sort of populace. You obeyed their law, or they will put you in order. That was kind of the Roman methodology, <laughs> that they would do that. But the peace of the Romans, it was, it was what they were, should be expecting, right? You've been hoping for peace all your life, peace in your family, peace in your country, peace in the world. And the Romans said, ha ha, we've done it. Now let me read the beginning of our text today and we'll start talking about what this peace means, okay? So here it is. It was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Tacanathus. Yeah. Do you you have a better way to pronounce that one? That's good, okay. (laughs) Excuse me. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At the time, a message from God came to John, the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Let's stop there for a second. Does that sound like peace? That sounds like a whole bunch of rulers sort of parceling out their little territories, doesn't it? Making sure that they're in charge. Well, but if you're the Jewish world... What do you want? You want God in control of your world. You don't want Herod the Great's two sons fighting over part of the kingdom married to the same woman. Herodias. Now, Herod the Great was supposed to be a brutal but but dynamic tactician, just, just smart beyond thing. Herod Antipas was all of that without the smarts, just mean. The Roman rulers, they, they did what they do. And if you get across them, they'll put you in line. But that was the peace of the Romans. Now, I don't want you to think for a second that things were so bad. There were good things but most of the Roman soldiers viewed their salary as a part of their salary that mostly their salary, the most money they got was from taking it from people. In the ancient world, if you were a soldier, well, in this world too, but if you went in and you conquered a place, then you were now in charge of the money of that house you're in. And if you're in charge, then you take it with you. That sounds like peace, doesn't it? I can think of, uh, well, let me, let me say this first. I'm going to say it this way. I might be the best little runner arounder you've ever known. I just love going places. And then there's 15 people that I need to meet and talk to. And so Karen sends me on a 15-minute errand. And three hours later, she's texting me going, are you coming back with what I'm waiting on dinner for? <laughs> 
That's me. But, but the Roman soldiers could actually force you to carry their pack for a ways. Can you imagine trying to get somebody somewhere and the Roman soldier would say, you carry this that way. But you got a schedule to keep. That's the peace of the Romans. But I don't want you to get too um, comfortable thinking about how terrible that was when you had extra, when you had kids you didn't want, you just take them out into the field or to the dump and leave them. That's the peace of the Romans. But we have the peace of the Americans, don't we? Yeah. Doesn't our lives fill, aren't they just filled with peace and love and care for each other nowadays? I was reading a book called uh, The Serpent's Egg. It's, it's the story about how a lot of the atrocities that the Germans were doing in the concentration camps and in the places that Americans are now doing those in the name of research. And that the egg that, that the Nazi campaigns have started has taken root. And in some ways, it would say that in a lot of ways, um, methodologically, the Germans won the war. They just didn't end up in charge. You can ask, you can ask yourself, how do we make makeup in our world? And you know that a lot of that is made from, maybe you don't know this, but a lot of that is made from babies that have been aborted. This is the peace of the Americans. Now, we might not be a law and order society in the same way the Romans were. You obey the law or we'll put you in order. I think you can make a case that maybe we're not that country right now because we don't have as much order as, as we would like. So it's into this world that I want you to recognize that we have a great nation. And I want to make sure that you know this, but some of our found, one of our founding fathers said this, that as soon as we figure out how to vote ourselves money, this system is over. It, they also said it's the worst form of government they can come up with, only it's better than anything else. That's democracy. That's the words of our founding fathers. And so I'm not, I don't want you to think that I hate living here. I like living here. There is a lot to be said for living here. But it's into this idea that, that everything's just perfect and, and our country keeps saying, just do it our way and it'll be okay. Here comes John and the message of John. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. As Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and the hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see salvation sent from God. What does that mean? That means that there is a king coming that is so much better than anything you've got right now that it's worth re-landscaping the country for him. That's what that means. Have you ever re-landscaped anything in your life? Yeah. 
You change it so that it works better. That's what this is about. There's a king coming right into the peace of the Americans, right into the peace of the Romans. No matter what Caesar Tiberius says or Tiberius says, there's a peace coming that's better than the one that you're currently in. And it's worth changing this. I was used this example in the first service. I thought it would, would play better there, but I'm going to do it here. Have any of you seen Shrek? Sure, Shrek. I love Shrek. I love actually anti-fairy tales, the one that's tell the stories wrong and things like that. I love those things. But you have to know the genre to do it right. Shrek does this really well. Well, Donkey, the talking donkey in the story, just meets Shrek, and they're coming over the hill to Shrek's house. And what do you remember what Donkey's first words are when he sees Shrek's house? What a dump. <laughs> That's what he says. And Shrek goes, That's my home. And Donkey immediately looks at the boulder and says, That's a nice boulder. I like that boulder. <laughs> right? So this is the world worth worth relandscaping. It's not just worth relandscaping the country, but we live in a world where Christianity, that you're free to practice it, which means I'm going to tell you this this way. You are free to relandscape your life for this coming peace. And maybe you ought to. This is where he goes with this. When the crowds came to John the Baptist, he said, are you ready for this? I, I just love this. He said, hey, love is just awesome. Just come. No, he said, you brood of snakes or vipers, who warned you to flee from God's wrath? Now, before I get past that a second, I just want that to sit with you a little bit. That is the perfect way to build a congregation. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll start with that. You brood of vipers, who, ta- who told you what time the service was? No, The church is described as many things in the Bible. The most common one is sheep, isn't it? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're sheep in the fold. Jesus is the gate. They know the voice of their shepherd, all this. I I was raised in a city, right? I I didn't know anything really about sheep. Marika um, had a friend who had the largest lambing and sheep group outside of Sprague, south of Spokane. And she went out to work lambing. She came home the first night and she goes, did you know they have a dead pile? And when it gets too big, they make another one. It was, a, it was sort of like a comeuppance to her. The ranchers in the area would say things like, sheep, they're fragile. If you look at them wrong, they just break and die. That's kind of the way Christians are in churches nowadays. If something goes slightly wrong in the church, then they just sort of break and they run for the hills and they do all this stuff. But Jesus says, it's okay, I'm their shepherd, I'll protect them. I'll be with them through this. But here's another example of of people. Now, John the Baptist is not talking to people that have the Lord in their lives because they don't know the Lord yet. He hasn't actually been introduced. He's about to be introduced, but this is what he says, right? You brood of snakes. Now, what do we know about snakes? Or vipers, right? Vipers. They, they might be gone an instant. You could spook them and they just, and they're gone. Or they could turn on you 
Does this sound like anybody you might know in the world? You've never been near anybody that could cut and run or turn on you just like that? Who warned you to, to turn from the, from the God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented from your sins and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. I tell you, God can create children from Abraham for Abraham from these very stones. Here's the deal about this. Who we come from and, and our relationships are this web that support us, but often we end up saying things like, well, so-and-so's my dad, and you know, and I, I get to do this because I was raised in this family. And Well, Tiberius got to be Caesar because he's the nephew of Augustus. Philip and Herod Antipas are rulers because they're Herod the Great's son. Licinius is related to the Ptolemies who ruled, who split up. Remember there was, when Alexander the Great's world, when he died and he didn't leave an heir, there were four major powers and each of them took a quarter of the world that they knew and they just split it up. And one of them was the Ptolemies. You can look that up. That's P-T-O-M-L-E. Okay? Ptolemy. It was all about the family. Even John the Baptist here, it says, John, Zechariah's son. But like Paul, when he gets into this, Jesus has this thing that he can do. If you turn to the end of Luke 3 to verse 23 and beyond, you get to see this awesome, awesome, amazing genealogy. That goes, Jesus was known as Joseph's son. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Matat. Blah, blah. It keeps going. You get back here far enough and you run into this name. How many of you can, have ever heard this name in the Bible? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is called the signet ring of God in the minor prophets. He was supposed, they thought initially, to be the one that would restart the kingdom of David after, after they came back from Babylon. Zerubbabel. Got that? Three times fast now. No? Okay. And you go back further on, you get Nathan, the son of David. That's not the king, right? Nathan was not Solomon, so Solomon ruled. Nathan was just the brother that got to have kids and be along for the ride. You get down there further, you get to Obed, the son of Boaz. Do you know the story of Ruth, the Moabitess, that she was, Obed was her son. By the way, the the old rules used to say it took so many generations for the child of a Moabite to come into the temple area or wherever they were worshiping. Solomon doesn't qualify. Interesting, isn't it? You go back further. Do you know uh, Salmon? Salmon's in here. I'm not sure completely about the timing of all this. I think there might be some slight errors in their record keeping and everything. But do you know why Salmon is famous? Who married the one survivor of Jericho? Salmon. Rahab. Right? She tied the cord in the window. 
They, they called her a prostitute, might be an innkeeper, we don't know. That's interesting. You keep going back further, Judah, son of Jacob. Judah, actually, when, when Joseph grabbed his brother and said, Benjamin, I'm going to put this one in jail for stealing when they went down to Egypt, Judah said, don't take me instead. Keeps going back. You got Shem and Noah and Lamech and Methuselah and Enoch. Enoch, the one so that God loved, he walked with God and God took him. And then the bottom one, Adam was the son of God. So how many of you, I did this with Karen Struve in the first service. Some of you know that she's like president of the genealogy society in here. I said, do you have this many generations? If I had to do you, could you flip a couple of pages if the lines were like this? And she goes, no, nobody's got that. It doesn't matter. Even this one starts out, Jesus was known as Joseph's son. It doesn't say actually that he was Joseph's son. It doesn't matter how strong your genealogy is. God can raise children for Abraham out of the stones if he has to. This is about a relationship with God that you get to know him. And here it is. How do you prove that you are living and repented of your sins, that you're saved? Let's see. Even now, it says, if you think you're going to count on Abraham as your survivor, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds ask, what should we do? Now, that's a good question right in the middle of a sermon where you've been called a brood of vipers and then told how to, that you ought to do something. How do we do that? And it says, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what should we do? Collect no more taxes than the government requires. So that doesn't make much sense to us. We send our, our taxes straight to the government. But the Romans, they didn't collect taxes from the populace. They, they had subcontractors that would contract. And so if you were in charge of Jerusalem, they, they would say, we need this amount of money out of Jerusalem. Go get it. And then they would collect that amount of money plus whatever else they could get, and they would send that amount of money to the Romans. That sound like graft or um, corruption, possibly? Well, mostly tax collectors were seen as Roman agents, and they weren't liked very much. And then the soldiers said, what should we do? Don't extort money and make false accusations against people, but be content with your pay. Remember, we said that they would normally do this, but they could actually say, I'm going to make an accusation against you unless you pay me this amount of money, and then they would get more money. But we don't, we don't need to hear that, do we? We, we live in America. We don't, there wouldn't be any need for us to hear a message like, learn to be content with what you have instead of more, 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 more. He who dies with the most toys wins. More feel like the seagull from Finding Nemo. Mine, mine. It's an American thought. <laughs> Here we go. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for 
for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, for many, and for many other wrongs that he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding, to the, adding that sin to the many others. One day when the crowds were baptized, being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. But I want to come back to this one verse that I kind of read and then we went past it. Because I don't want to I don't want to skip this up. If I were to say John 3.16 to you, what's in that one? Could you give me a short synopsis of John 3.16 if you had to? For God so loved the world that he gave his only... See, see it's been beaten into me too, only in a, in, a, in a text that I don't even... It's not even the Bible style that I read anymore. I can still say, say it in the King James, even though I probably haven't read the King James for 15 years. But here's this one. In Luke 3.16, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. There's a subtext there. Jewish slaves were not to do that. That was considered too low even for Jewish slaves to do. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. A stronger one is coming. A better way of life is coming. The one that you re-landscape your life around is coming. Have you done that re-landscaping? Is there more to do? Is there a sticky boulder somewhere that, that the talking donkey is saying, I like that boulder, but it's really in the way? This is the spot. This is the time to do this. Somebody is coming that you might have everything. Your life might be better than you ever dreamed. It could be, it might be safer than you deserve. But a king is coming and he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the landscaping is, it's time. The time is now. It might not be any fun to do that re-landscaping. How many of you just enjoy getting out and moving dirt around? There are people that do that. I see some, some like this. I kind of like the physical labor. I don't know that I love moving dirt. I just kind of like getting doing the stuff that gets dirt under my fingernails. But it's hard work, and it's, but it's worthy work, and you don't have to do it alone because you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I baptize with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It will run through your veins. It will, it will be there, part of you. It'll be beside you as you relocate this boulder from there to there. Maybe you've got to break it into little pieces because you can't handle moving it all at once. It's okay. Count on anybody else, actually. You count on this Jesus. I think that's a perfect lead in for communion, don't you? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the way that you've moved in our hearts today. I thank you for baptisms, baptisms here, baptisms in first century Jerusalem, baptisms of the Holy Spirit. Help us re-landscape our lives for you. In your precious name, amen.